Coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, your favorite play-by-play announcer, Eric Collins, joins us to discuss Doug Branson's favorite subject in the world. At the end of the show, we also discuss the way that Cam Newton was kicked out of the Carolina Panthers organization and the way that Kemba Walker left the Charlotte Hornets organization and this. And Quincy AC didn't play either because whenever AC plays, they always say AC gets got a doozy. <laughs> You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. We live. So really because of the guest that we have on, and it's kind of a surprise guest. I didn't realize that we were going to have this guy on, but Doug told me that we were able to book him. Then I got really excited to do this show. And I imagine Doug is not only excited for this show because of the guest that we have on, but also because of the topic that we'll be discussing here today. The guest is Mr. Eric Collins, Hornets play-by-play announcer for Fox Sports Southeast. Eric, thanks so much for the time. How are you? Hey, I'm doing just fine. I actually had more time than I thought I'd have. Um, so yeah, more than thrilled to be with hanging with you guys. Well, yeah, and we talked to you a little bit before we got on the mic here, Eric. You're going stir crazy. How are you holding up? Uh, I got a treadmill here in the house, and so I'm like kind of on the treadmill. And when I'm not on the treadmill, I'm walking my dog. So it's kind of like if you can imagine a hamster on a, on a wheel. That's kind of like me, always in motion, but not really going very far. Uh, so what are you t- what are you telling us, Eric? When you get back on the air, you're gonna have a six pack. I mean, you're you're gonna be rocking the abs. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I don't think I'm going to allow Dell to talk for probably three games. I'm just going to have so much pent up energy and thoughts. <laughs> I can imagine that Eric Collins joining us here on the lockdown Hornets podcast. Uh, I told you I was excited about the guest, but I imagine Doug is excited about the topic because Doug has an obsession with yes, the miracle after midnight. We have mentioned it probably as much as any other podcast out there, not only among Hornets podcasts, cause it would be the only I think kind of podcast that would mention the miracle after midnight, but Doug loves this subject. We probably mentioned it once a week. So who better to get on to talk about more about that than Eric Collins, Doug, why don't you set the scene for us? Yeah. I mean, this was one of, I think the most exciting greatest games in Hornets history. It doesn't have the the same, you know, context as maybe some of the playoff victories. Uh, But there, there is a lot of hidden context in this game. So it took place on January 25th, 2016, the Hornets visiting the Sacramento Kings. It was the first game of a four game road trip. The Hornets had won three out of their last four games, the beginning of a run through January and February that would propel them into the playoffs that season. Now, the Hornets went into the game shorthanded. Cody Zeller was out with a shoulder injury. Both Nick Batum and Jeremy Lamb were out with toe issues, so that was two starters and a major bench player. The Hornets did have Kimba Walker, who was really coming on after a tough December, but the Kings had DeMarcus Cousins. He was playing some of the best boogie ball of his life. Eric, do you remember having any kind of feeling before the game about how much of a chance the Hornets had in this one? Uh, you know, my re- recall was I knew the Hornets were playing well, and, and that second half of the year, they were really, really good. But that was Nick Batum's first year, and I know that people who are kind of new to the Hornets thing of recent years, maybe you don't believe this, but Nick was a huge part of what the Hornets were doing that year. And Nick was going to be out, and I was always skeptical West Coast, late night, playing a game with without Nick Batum. And I didn't think we had much of a chance just because uh, I thought that with Cody being out as well, the combination of no Nick and DeMarcus Cousins possibly wreaking havoc against whichever center we threw out there seemed like a bad idea. 
I, I think the options that we had that game were Frank Kaminsky and Tyler Hansborough um, as the centers. Maybe nice Spencer call. Hawes was in the mix as well. But uh, yeah, it was we were definitely thin, 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 and uh, we knew that Demarcus Cousins would probably cash in, and he did. But I don't want to spoil the, the ending. But the Hornets did come out on top. <laughs> Eric, uh, what do you remember most about the miracle after midnight as it was being played out? Uh, well, obviously Troy Daniels um, was was huge. I've always just, I, for some reason, I love shooters, and I love guys who kind of do it differently than other people. And he just is such a one-trick pony, which all he can do is, is shoot the basketball, but shoot better than most people in the world. Uh, when he didn't, when he didn't get a chance, this was my first year at the Hornets in the NBA, and when he didn't get much playing time the first couple of months. I couldn't figure it out because this guy was just such a pure shooter. And there would go weeks at times when he would never even get on the floor. So when he actually got into the game and started making the shots and they kept getting further and further and further each time out, that just blew my mind. And after a while, I just, it was one of the most joyous evenings I've ever had watching this unheralded guy just continue to do just magical things and will the Hornets forward. I, that's, I'll never not stop thinking about what Troy Daniels did in the fourth quarter in overtime. Where does this game rank for you, uh, Eric? I mean, this is a, a really exciting game, but again, doesn't maybe carry the same cachet as a postseason win would. Where does this game rank for you in all the games that you call? Uh, wow. I was looking at the box score earlier this morning. Both teams were under 500 at the time of the game, both the Hornets and the Kings. <laughs> uh, but it was awesome in the sense that, like, even on the other side, DeMarcus Cousins had a huge game. He had 56 points. Um People don't remember, Rajon Rondo had a 20-assist game. When's the time you saw a guy get 20 assists in a game? That's like 100. He actually got a double-double with rebounds and assists. He didn't get a triple-double because he only scored seven points. Just bizarre stuff happened in this game. Um, it, it's definitely a top 10 for me all time, not just Torrance-related, but just top 10 games that I've been involved with. I did a couple football games that ended on Hail Marys and some baseball games that had, you know, six run ninth innings and walk off. Oh my God. I want those calls, Eric. I want the Eric Collins Hail Mary <laughs> call as desperate as anything as I've ever wanted in my life. It still exists. I was actually looking the other day. Someone forwarded me a link. I did that. It was Nebraska playing against Northwestern out in Lincoln. And a guy <laughs> by the name of Ron Kellogg threw a Hail Mary and, uh, Jordan Westercamp caught it. And, uh, I did some radio shows out in Lincoln uh, the next couple of days, and I'm pretty sure if I go to any diner in Lincoln, Nebraska, it's, it's going to be free for the rest of my life because it was such a wonderful, wonderful ending to a game. Eric, my favorite thing that you do, and I've tweeted this out a couple of times, my favorite thing you do is to mention a random city, whatever state you're in, whatever city of that uh, other host city. It, it, when somebody hits a 35-footer, you say it's from a random city around the, the place that you're calling a game. Where did the guy throw it from on that Hail Mary? Was there a city that you mentioned a different type of city? Oh, he threw it from blank. I want to hear that city's name in Nebraska. He hit it from Beatrice. He threw it all the way from Beatrice. It looks like Beatrice, but it's pronounced Beatrice, as the locals would call it. So uh, that would be the line I would use out in Lincoln, Nebraska. That, that's amazing, uh, Eric. Yeah, back to this game. You're right, man. The, the, there were so many crazy stats in this game. Jeremy Lin had close to a triple-double. He had 20, 11, and 7 in this game. He had such a huge impact on that playoff season. Marvin Williams... Spencer Hawes and Tyler Hansborough all fouled out, and, and a lot of that was them trying to guard DeMarcus Cousins, who wouldn't be denied. Then Cousins fouls out right before that Troy Daniels three, um, and the Kings overall beat the Hornets in the paint 74-30. to 30. I really, you know, 
I'm I'm excited that the Hornets won, but I remember that game and thinking, man, the Hornets, they absolutely cannot stop the Kings. They were doing whatever they wanted to inside until Cousins fouled out. That was when the Hornets were just kind of ahead of the curve a little bit. That year, the Hornets were a top five team in terms of three-point makes. And that was just kind of a way the organization shifted away from like the Gary Neals and the Gerald Hendersons of the world actually decided to to embrace modern basketball. And they made 23 pointers that game. And as we found out in the subsequent five years, the three point shot can mask a lot of inadequacies in other parts of the uh, parts of your game. So the Hornets only shot 40 percent as a team, but they made 20 of 44 threes, which is just a huge number with Troy hitting eight of his 11. So. Uh, Despite all the things that went wrong for the Hornets, the three-pointer covered everything up. I'm just curious as to how many threes the Kings made. Yeah, the Kings, they're still playing prehistoric basketball. They had seven <laughs> three-pointers in a double overtime game. That's And they had a Curry on their team as well, who they chose not to play. More from Eric Collins next on if he thinks the season could resume, how it might end, as well as his thoughts on the season overall, if it indeed does come to an end. This is Locked on Hornets. All I have to go off of is write-ups and highlights and some video tidbits on Twitter because I was not able to watch this game. Tidbits, like tidbits? That's a, well, it's a great word, tidbits. It, I mean, that's just a funny word. word, tidbits. I want to use it every single day. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Eric, if you could go back and call one game in sports history, what would that game be for you? Oh, Wow. I'd probably be too nervous, but it would have to be. I'm at the at the end of the day. In my blood, who I am as a person is a it's a Cleveland Indians fan. So it would probably have to be uh, one of the game sevens, and hopefully I would you know I'd, I'd hope for a different outcome. Either 1997, uh, the Indians versus the Marlins, or 2016, the Indians versus the Cubs. Um, I would need to be if for some reason if the Indians ever win the World Series in my lifetime, I need to be someplace where I can. Uh, I just need to be around it somehow. So that would be it. Doing a baseball game involving Cleveland Indians, preferably um, the hometown call. Like, I don't think I could do a national broadcast of the Cleveland Indians. It would just be so obvious that I was an Indians fan. What would it be for you, Walker? What would if you could call oh, one game? Man. What do you think? Oh, I, I have, I have no clue. I, man, I'll tell you know, mine. I'll tell you mine. It'd be that Panthers X clown game because that game was so boring. Uh, you know, through most <laughs> of that game, that I would be able to just talk about ridiculous things. And then you, but you also like people. People forget that that game ended so amazingly, but the, through most of it, it was very boring. Well, and, Eric, correct me. Sorry, go ahead, Doug. No, I'm just saying I could be ridiculous, but also get the crazy call at the end. Well, Eric, and forgive me, I, do I have this right that I was looking up LeBron James like, high school dunk contest back in the day, and were you a part of that broadcast? Uh, I was not. I did. Okay. Uh, I, no, I did the McDonald's All-American game in 07. That was Blake Griffin. A little small okay. story there if you have time. Um, yes, I do. In that we, we 2007, that it was the uh, McDonald's All-American game, and that year it was Kevin Love, O.J. Mayo was a big name, um, Kyle Singler was in that game, Nolan Smith, uh, Derek Rose, uh, Michael Beasley, uh, Eric Gordon. There are a lot of big names in this game. And I was doing the dunk contest the day before with Tim McCormick and Len Elmore. And as much as I love Len Elmore, Len Elmore just does not believe that high school sports should be televised. And he was just angry the entire time. <laughs> and uh, 
So we're doing this dunk contest, which is even beneath the high school game to Len Elmore. So he was just totally chapped that he was there. <laughs> um, wonderful man. Wonderful man. So we're doing this dunk contest. And like I said, all the big names that we thought were going to be, you know, the big muckety mucks, Derrick Rose and uh, OJ Mayo, they were relatively unspectacular in the dunk contest. And it turns out that Blake Griffin won the dunk contest. And we really didn't talk much about him just because he was, he was solid dunk at basketball, but it seemed like whenever he would do something, there would always be reason to talk about someone else. And uh, so that happened. So flash forward to um, the game the next day. And I even think that Blake Griffin won the MVP of, of the, the real game. I don't recall, but a couple of years later, I remember watching an interview with Blake Griffin and uh, someone said, Hey Blake, you seem to play with this rage. Where's this rage come from? And he said, you know what? I grew up out in Oklahoma City, and I thought I was a big deal. I won a bunch of state championships. I was the state player of the year. Anyway, I went to the Dallas All-American game, and I won the dunk contest. And the announcers were talking about everything else except for me. And then the next day, we had the actual game, and I was the MVP of the game. And I scored 25 points, and I watched the tape. And the announcers were talking about Derek Love or Derek Rose and, and Kevin Love and everyone else but me. And I decided right then and there that I was never going to be in a public environment and play basketball and not have people notice me. That's what fuels my rage. <laughs> so I take credit for a large part of the success of Blake Griffin's career. That's yes. amazing. Fueling his rage by overlooking all of his deeds as a 17-year-old. That's amazing. No, it's you know someone uh, mentioned to me that they were uh, it was somebody who announces games and they were scared of doing a basketball game with no fans and being close to the court because they were afraid of saying something that would anger maybe an opposing player or even a player for the team that they were announcing for. Because <laughs> they would hear them. I actually, you know, intentionally, if we're on the floor, sometimes we're not. Half the time we're actually, you know, 30 rows up in the, in the stands. But when we're on the floor, just because I do not, I do not and I never will believe in the announcer jinx. But if, like the other day, we're out in, uh, in Toronto, and Kyle Lowry's at the free throw line. And I know that some people in our organization believe in the announcer jinx. So I would never say anything. I've learned the hard way. I never say anything when a, a Hornet goes to the free throw line. But Kyle Lowry was at the line. And I want to say the Hornets had a one-point lead or whatever. So the Hornets were hoping that Kyle Lowry would miss. And uh, I have a microphone, but still as loudly as I could. <laughs> Since we were closest to that free throw line, I mentioned about what a wonderful free throw shooter Kyle Lowry was and how he made 85% at the line throughout the course of the year and how this is virtually automatic that he was going to make it. And I was saying so loud that all the fans who were to the left of me and to the right of me could hear, and they were kind of giving me the stink eye <laughs> and Lowry ended up missing one of the two. And I was convinced that Lowry actually heard what I said. So I wouldn't mind if the players could hear me. I think it would actually add, add an extra layer of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. of fun current. You don't, be, you don't believe in the jinx, but if the jinx happens to help the team, then Correct. okay. If there's someone at home who believes in the jinx and they think that I'm jinxing a free throw shooter, that's a better broadcast, and I'm all for that. Eric, we've already taken enough of your time. Just one more question before we get you out of here. If the season does indeed end, if there is if there isn't any more regular season games to be played, maybe they pick up the postseason or whatever. Just when you look back on this season, calling these games from the Charlotte Hornets, one, you know, where does this one rank with all of the games that went down to the wire? I know you had a bunch of exciting moments at the end of a lot of the contests that happened this year. Just your overall memory if the regular season does indeed come to an end. Well, I'm really, really hoping we don't get to that point. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, maybe this is going to be something that 
Obviously, safety is first and foremost, and we need to make sure that everything is, is where it needs to be. That goes without saying. Um, but I think that this could be one of those things. If we ever get back to playing basketball in a relatively quick period of time, which changes the NBA as we know it, I could totally see uh, the NBA using this opportunity to come up with something radically different with in terms of uh, who gets into the playoffs and how the playoffs are formatted. Um, just because of the shortness of time remaining, I could totally see the NBA deciding that maybe because this season's ending later, that maybe we pick up the season, we start at a later date. Uh, maybe we start around the Christmas time area. I know that's been that floated around, and maybe also that fundamentally changes the course of an NBA season that now goes between the end of December until June during the regular year. Um, anyway, I think that this is going to open us up for a lot of different things, and. and it's going to give us an opportunity to look at a lot of different things that we just kind of take for granted. Um, but what I'll remember from this year is, is there was a lot of joy when there was not a lot expected coming into the year. And this time last year, it was all fretting and pulling our hair out of clumps because of the Kemba Walker situation. And I absolutely adore, I revere, um, I beseech Kemba Walker. Um, but that just hanging over the organization's head um, was really, really difficult. And I can't imagine any better circumstance unless we had somehow gotten our hands on Zion Williamson. Um, I can't imagine a better way that the 12 months would have transpired since, you know, getting the young play- players in place, having the young players develop, finding surprises along the way, um, being able to move on from some players who maybe were, you know, a part of the, the previous era who really didn't have much to help the Hornets going forward. Uh, accumulating assets still, I've been here for five years, and besides that one playoff year, besides the, the miracle after midnight, um, this has been the most fulfilling season, no doubt about it. With the Hornets being able to fight, scrap, figure out how to win close games, which were so difficult in years past, um, I'm going to be very disappointed when the season ends, um, and hopefully it doesn't end until August or so. I really hope that they get a chance to get people back together and play basketball and get back to a sense of normalcy. Eric Collins, play-by-play announcer for the Charlotte Hornets, a part of the Fox Sports Southeast broadcast, joining us on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for the time. We miss hearing you, man, watching some of those games. You do an excellent job, and we appreciate your time here with us today. Hey, thanks for thanking me. Really appreciate it. We'll recap some of Eric Collins' comments next, as well as compare Cam Newton's situation in Carolina to Kimball Walker's situation in Charlotte and how both of their exits compare and differ. We'll talk about that next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. I'm, I'm a little, I listen, hold on. I, now see. Uh, I, I, we couldn't just blow by that one. Well, you had because this is what frustrates me. You know I'm uh, under the weather. You know I'm not at 100% right now. And you're you're just taking it to me. You're like one of these people that knew Nick Batum had a hand injury. And they were just slapping his hand. Because it's like, we're going we're gonna to knock this guy's hand because we know he's injured. And that's what you're doing to me right now. But I just want to say, Sam, if you're listening, you're more than a numbers guy. You have heart. You have soul. You have agency. You are a person. Love you, Sam. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Eric Collins is a saint. I miss his voice. I imagine most people miss his voice. First off, just the nicest guy in the world. So thankful that he decided to come on with us. And even off the mic, Doug, he's still rattling off stats from that game. I'm not kidding. We're, we're getting him off. I, I feel bad for keeping him so long. And yet Eric Crazy. Collins is continuing to stay on the line, giving us things about Quincy AC not playing in that game, giving us actual shooting charts off of Darren Collison and other stats that were in that game. Thank you so much to Eric Collins and 
and and and crazy that he was continuing to give us stats after we were trying to say, Eric, please, we we, we want to leave you alone. We don't want to take up more of your time. Well, I honestly think he's frustrated. We didn't dig a little deeper into the game. I, I mean, too. listen, I, I live too. and breathe the miracle after midnight, but also I think we were just so interested in in what he's doing and what games he would call. There's just so many questions I want to ask Eric yeah, Collins. He was not ready. I I was. I wish that I would have continued to stay with the game rather than having my inner geek broadcaster come out. What was the best game that you ever called? What would be the game that you would choose? Like that's so summer radio boring. Like I shouldn't have done that. I should have continued to dig deeper into the game and I should not also have asked him about a game that he <laughs> or a contest that he never was a part of. That was on me. I was going, I knew it was a McDonald's all American and I felt confident enough without doing any research whatsoever to ask him if it was the LeBron James high school all-star dunk contest. But no, it was the Blake Griffin high school all-star uh, dunk contest. I'm that's glad I'm was. glad you did it because it wasn't me. Of course you I mean, that's totally a me thing. That's what I normally do. And it was glad to see everything is upside down right now. I mean, everyone's staying inside. It's it's clearly affecting you. You are, you are getting cabin fever and that fever is resulting in you messing up uh, horribly on this show. And I'm glad to see it. Oh, I don't need cabin fever to mess up horribly on this show as you guys have become accustomed to listening to Lockdown Hornets. Anything you wanted to go over from what Eric had to say about this game or just anything in general, Doug? I think it's really interesting, his thoughts on the NBA resuming. And and, and he mentioned there that the NBA, and he, he was saying that you know, it could get a little crazy how they figure out how to resume the season and maybe sh- maybe shorten the playoffs, maybe redo the playoffs, maybe redo how the season ends. Like there's just so many options for the NBA and they were already starting to get creative. Like Adam Silver has already discussed ways to reinvent how the regular season looks. There was a talk of a midseason tournament and that kind of went away. But now I think the season is ripe for figuring out how to creatively end this season and get into the playoffs. So I'll be really interested to see what they do. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Calling the game prehistoric, going over some of the notes. Of course, Troy Daniels being the thing that he remembers most and then actually doing the research. One of the notes from this game that I thought was hilarious is that, man, as much as we love Tyler Hansbrough here in North Carolina, he might still be one of the most oh, hell, he played for the Hornets kind of oh, yeah. players that I can remember. I, we, we love him in North Carolina, and yet he's still in that category. I can't imagine he would have ever ended up in that category. And, and I'll tell you what, again, the, the, the reason the Miracle After Midnight is so cool is because it's ours. Like, if you go back and watch the ESPN highlights of this game, there's no mention of how um, crazy it was that Troy Daniels was in the game and that he scored 28 points. Like, there's just no con- – it was all about Boogie scoring 56 and losing because Boogie was the star – because nobody cared about the Charlotte Hornets. This is ours to have. And Tyler Hansborough is one of those players that you'll you'll remember and no one else will for his impact on this game. He fouled out of the game because he gave his ever-loving life trying to guard DeMarcus Cousins. I'm sure he came away with bruises all over his body in places that he doesn't want to talk about. And, and I'll tell you another thing. He had several offensive rebounds that helped get this game for the Hornets. I mentioned that points in the paint stats, 74 to 30 in favor of the Kings. But the Hornets actually out-rebounded the Kings somehow on the offensive glass, 16-9. to Kaminsky had three of them, I think. I mean, it was incredible how shorthanded they were, how physical they were, how many three-pointers they hit, and that they were able to come away with a victory that I think honestly spurred them to the playoffs. So Kimba Walker 
of course, the star back then for the Charlotte Hornets and Kimba Walker coming off of a bad December. We know that Kimba's time here in Charlotte consisted of actually quite a bit of bad Decembers. If you look at it, did we have three really in the last four or five years of his career of just overall bad months of December, Doug? I feel like that's kind of the number that we arrived at. Yeah, he would start the season strong and then fade towards the the middle or end of December. He would go through a shooting slump. I mean, this was a regular thing. And then he would just light it up in January in February and if he had a little help they made the playoffs and but normally he didn't have a little help and they missed the playoffs and they never did give him any help like you mentioned Doug and it was a big discussion last year on whether the Hornets should try to go get him some help Bradley Beal was a popular name there were a couple of guys here and there that maybe would become a part of the of the discussion on how to help Kemba Walker and the Charlotte Hornets. But eventually the Hornets decided that they weren't going to extend any kind of offer that Kemba was looking for. I mean, mm-hmm. he was eligible for the Supermax. We all know that he wasn't going to get the Supermax, but we thought, I don't know what number was thrown around, maybe 180, 190 million. And then I think the Charlotte Hornets came in with an offer of about 160. And it just wasn't enough to keep him on a team that wasn't going to compete for anything because they were still cap strapped. I mean, they, they still had quite a bit of money on the books. They weren't able to make any kind of deal to get real help back in return. And so for the money that the Boston Celtics decided to pay him, even though it was less than the Hornets, he decides to go play for a team that can compete in the playoffs. And so it didn't, it didn't seem all that beefy, right? Between the two parties. People Doug. tried to, people tried to make it beefy. Yeah. And I always took a, a little bit of, um, I don't know, not offense. Offense is the wrong word. Uh, I don't even know what the right word is, but I always was like, I don't think there is as much beef here. I mean, obviously, both sides are disappointed, but there's a difference between being disappointed and then, you know, going out in public, going out in public and saying, you know, this team wronged me in some way. Yeah, and Kimba never did that. Also, that's not his persona. I know that we had some comments from his mom that was particularly frustrated with the Charlotte Hornets, and I get that it was his mom. I also think there might be something to go into because Kimba could have had conversations with his mom, and his mom was like, you know, screw this. My baby doesn't like it, so I'm going to continue to talk about it. And I would get that kind of, I would get that angle of things. But it certainly doesn't seem like the beef that is between the Carolina Panthers organization ooh, 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 and Cam Newton right now. Beefy. Carolina comes out from their official Twitter account yesterday and says, we have given Cam Newton permission to seek a trade. About 20 minutes later, I don't know how much time elapsed, but it wasn't an hour. It was, it was pretty fast after they come out with that tweet. And Cam Newton in his wing dings font types, no, this was forced. We're not going to manipulate or change the narrative here. I love y'all. I will always love y'all. But this was a forced move from the Carolina Panthers. And so we saw this. Kim Newton frustrated with the way that the Carolina Panthers worded that official tweet. Greg Olson, at the time of his release, also mentioned it. When, when the Carolina Panthers came out and said that we've mutually agreed to part ways, that Greg Olson and the Panthers, we, we mutually agreed to part ways, he would go on to say, no, it wasn't too mutual. It was pretty forced as well. And so, Doug, for me, the, the reason that the Panthers botched all of this, it, they didn't botch all of this because they decided to move on from an aging tight end or an unhealthy quarterback where his future is completely uncertain. It, it's not those decisions that bother me or I think even the fan base to a certain degree. It's why are you trying to come out and force it on the players? You're trying to make yourself look like the good guy. And it's so easy to combat that if you're a player, especially with a new owner coming in. You know, th- own it. 
if you want to move on from Cam, own it. If you want to move on from Greg, own it. But don't try to play with everybody's mind and say they were the ones that forced themselves out. Just own your decision like an adult. It's the mis- I think it's the mistake that the Carolina Panthers made and a mistake that the Charlotte Hornets, in my mind, did not make. They, they, even though they held some information close to the vest, at the same time, I feel like they played it honestly down the line. We made him an offer. He refused the offer. And we made him the best offer that we could make because, and, and you know, they laid out some reasoning behind that. It obviously wasn't uh, the biggest offer that they could make, but from the franchise's perspective, in terms of their franchise financial health, it was the best offer that they could make. And they were honest about that. And I think, you know, Kimba never fully like disputed that. But the, the big mistake that the Carolina Panthers made is that they tried to get out ahead of a story that involved a player that has a huge platform. This isn't, you know, this isn't an offensive lineman that has no social media following. This is Cam Newton. He's the most relevant athlete in sports history. I don't think it's close. In Carolina sports history. Yes, yes, correct. And, And so, yes, he is going to tell his side of the story. So you better make sure that your side of the story and his side of the story somewhat align. And, and it's clear it did not. And, and maybe they feel that their, their side of the story is the right side of the story, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because if the stories don't align, then there's conflict. And if there's conflict, people are generally going to side with the superstar and not with the, the big organization. This is not to say that the Hornets handled the Kimba situation flawlessly because, no. of course, they didn't get any assets in return. And Correct. even in just the relationship with Kimba, it, it, it wasn't all roses, right? I mean, I, I don't know if it ever got to a degree that they hated each other by any means. I think there was a level of understanding, but there certainly had to be some frustration on Kimba's part because the Hornets didn't come out and flat out say, Kimba, I apologize, but we're not going to bring you back because of the situation they're in. They offered him 160 mil, and that was kind of the hint. They could have been more clear. They certainly could have been more clear. It was not flawless, but they did not try to mislead the public and say it was Kimba's decision to leave. Well, not just that they didn't mislead the public, but it seems like they also didn't try to mislead Kimba Walker. See, to me, there's there's one big similarity between Kimba and Cam and one big difference. The similarity is that Kimba Walker and Cam Newton both desperately wanted to be a part of the, right. the respective organizations, and they loved being here and and being part of those organizations. That's the similarity. The difference is that one player in Kimball Walker, you got the sense that he had the sense that it wasn't going to work out. Like, I want it to work out, but it seems like it's not going to work out. Whereas Cam, fr- from all I'm reading, thought he was the, still going to be the guy and, and, and seemed devastated when he suddenly realized after, after the the – uh, Panthers communicated it to everyone that all of a sudden he's not the guy. And so that's where the big difference is. There was clearly a communication error between the Carolina Panthers and Cam Newton that did not exist between the Charlotte Hornets and Kimba Walker. The Panthers operated at a level that suggests they did not have a plan. And even if they did not know they were going to bring back Cam Newton or not, that actually speaks kind of worse about them. It, it means they didn't have a plan and they were in this limbo and they didn't know what to do. And, and I'll tell you this, signing Teddy Bridgewater doesn't help that. <laughs> doesn't help that narrative. Teddy's not Terry? I, yeah, that's the, that's the comparison people are making. That, that's funny, right? Because if Teddy Bridgewater, if, if he plays well, like how, how far can we go with that comparison in your mind, Doug? If Teddy Bridgewater comes in, he's not overpaid. I actually thought he was going to get overpaid. So you, you can't, you're not coming in with the expectation of Terry 
being overpaid or Teddy being overpaid like Teddy was. Oh my God. Wow. Teddy and Terry, that's messing me up. You can't come in with the expectation that Teddy is overpaid like Terry was for the Hornets. But how far does this comparison go to you? Well, I, I think to me, uh, we, we look at Terry in a lot rosier fashion. Mm-hmm. Huh? Because <laughs> of the development. Yes, you get the credit. You're a genius. Thank you. Hold on. I need to play the sounder. It deserve that deserves the sounder. We we look at it that way because of the development of Devontae Graham, because of the development of PJ Washington, like post and and this goes back to what Eric Collins said that post Kemba Walker, we've seen positives. We've seen player development. We see a future where the Charlotte Hornets could be good again at some point. It's going to take time, but it could happen. And so how we judge this whole cam situation, we're always going to see it negatively in terms of how it went down. But we'll ultimately judge it by the development that they get out of whatever young talent they're able to acquire over the next couple of seasons and how well Teddy Bridgewater plays. Because that's the thing. Rozier has played well. If he didn't play well, then we would judge that even more harshly. It's always going to seem weird that we got Rozier for Kemba. But it's it's better it feels okay because he's played well and because they've gotten development from other players all right a huge thanks to eric collins for joining us today that wraps up this edition of locked on hornets now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of locked on fantasy basketball have a bunch of other good shows lined up for you a bunch of good content and a time that needs good content that needs creative content we are absolutely your hornets podcast to continue to follow have a great day we'll see you tomorrow 